Welcome to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Today is episode four, engine building games. On today's show, we go over some games that we played over the last week or so. We review Imaginarium, we answer a board game question, we get into our top three engine building games, then we take a look at Snowdonia, look at its components, tell about our expectations, then we get into Christo's Cave of Crowdfunding Wonders. We are recording at Demolition Games, located 3300 South and 85 West in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're in the Salt Lake City area, we highly suggest coming down for some great deals. Today is Saturday, August 17th, 2019, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Jacob. I'm Justine. I'm Matt. You know, before we start the show proper, I was just wondering, do you guys get excited for Stonemeyer games? No, not really. No. Um, it depends on the game. <laughs> okay. Uh, for those of you not li- listen, for those of you listening that don't know what a Stonemeyer game is, um, they well they like they put out games not even once a year sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes there's a few years bet- between games. And I was just looking at the hotness list the other day and noticed Tapestry, and uh, and I almost got excited but then didn't. And I feel like it's it's like one of those things where like when I was new into gaming, I was really excited for Stonemeyer games. Yeah. Mm. Their production's always high, and the games are always fine. I don't think I don't think I hate any Stonemaier yeah. game. It, we should probably lift off some of their games so people are aware sure. Of, um, yeah, like they did Scythe, they uh-huh. did Wingspan. Those are the two most recent ones, right? Yeah, Euphoria, mm-hmm. Viticulture, Viticulture, Viticulture. Those ones, yeah. This one does look cool, though. They compared it. They said it's going to be a mix of like three games I really liked. It was like Feast for Odin, uh-huh. Mombasa, and another one. So I was in. Yeah. Because yeah. I do trust their competency. I don't think they're making jokes of games. I think they're making right, games. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jamie Stegmeyer, who's designing the game, doesn't design all the games, but he is designing this one. He is a gamer. I mean, he's got a blog, a vlog actually on YouTube where he. Like just talks about his favorite mechanics and games and such. So, as a, a huge board gaming fan, making board games, I mean, I think that should go hand in hand. But this one does look cool, right? It it calls it a two-hour civilization building game, Ooh. which would be cool if it pays yeah, off. That's cool. But anyway, we played some games this week because this is a show about board games. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had family in town, so I'll have to tell you guys about my online games. Um, and I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, I played two games, but the point I want to make about them is the same. I played Trois and I played Keyflower, and um, they were both games that I thought I was a world expert genius at. I was actually kind of getting bored. I was like, oh, winning is easy. <laughs> and I finally found the right group of opponents to play really mean, and they kind of opened my eyes a little bit to them. And now I think I'm going to play those games very, very mean. In four-player games, I don't like to play a lot of defense, but if you really pay attention to what everybody's doing in those games, uh, you can just, with a little bit of hate, really ruin somebody's game and have them finish in the single digits. For instance, in Keyflower, I uh, was doing the thing where you try and collect sets of three different tools. Um, that only works if you get the right scoring card at the very end. 
and somebody just bombed it on me, just dropped 10 meeples on it, and hmm. the thing I built up to all game didn't work. It's not quite over yet, but I think that person is going to win, so it's going to be worth it for them. Um, that's Keyflower and Trois. Uh-huh. Where did you play that? Uh, board Game Arena, okay. another thing that I can't recommend enough. Yeah. I love playing on Board Game Arena. They have lots of good games, really good graphics. Are you going to get so good at Keyflower that you can do like the Bobby Fischer thing where you play against 20 different opponents and you have 20 different boards? Oh, yeah. I just know up. what's behind their yeah, screen. You just go with <laughs> so I guess you could with a good enough memory, you could know what's behind their screens, right? Because you can see what they're getting. Yes, that would help a lot. Uh, I've tried to play Keyflower without the memory mechanism because I hate memory mechanisms. It loses all the magic. Yeah. Not recommended. Don't do it. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I just played like a, a smaller game, which is Point Salad from AEG. Um, it was a Gen Con release. Point Salad is like this really simple drafting game. Like I would compare it to like Sushi Go, except for you're not drafting from your hand, you're drafting on the table. And the the most interesting part about the game is that they're double-sided cards, so the back side of the cards are all different ways that you can score. Like, they're just, like, point cards. Like, have the most tomatoes, or uh, have a combination of cabbage and, and lettuce and score eight points for each combination. Um, and on your turn, you either grab one point card or two vegetable cards. That's the entire game. It is fine. Like, I wonder how many times I could play it before I'm like, I never need to play this again. I think it's it's fun enough to play, like, as a filler game. It's really short. Um, I would say I like it better than Sushi Go. Um, I feel like it has, like, better decisions. Although it has this thing where the rows are going to refill with those point cards that you're looking at. So if somebody takes two vegetables and, like, not the point card that you wanted to grab, it doesn't matter. It's just going to flip to refill, and your point card's gone. So it's almost a game of, like, tactics rather than strategy. Like, to try to strategize in this game would be impossible because by the time it's your turn, the the tables change so much to where you, you won't be able to do what you want to do. But it's fun, and it's easy, and it's quick. That's points out. And- and you brought it in with you too. Um, that's the only thing you brought in with your phone, your notepad, and that. It looks like it plays up to six. Does it play up to six well? We played five, and okay. I'm sure yes. The okay. turns are so quick. You might worry about like if if this little game is going to cause AP because you have all these vegetables in front of you on these point cards, and you're like looking at what to grab. But like once it's your turn, you have like almost no choices. You look at the board and you go, this is going to be the most useful okay. card to me. Mm-hmm. So it's like super quick. Like people are grabbing cards and it's your turn. Like, I like to play those kind of games where there's like an optimal move with people who are like slightly less good at board games than me so I can just feel like a genius when you make the <laughs> board game choice all day. They're like, aha! It's, it's good after like a rough day at work. You're just like, ah, oh, yes. I'm yeah. It, my domain. It is, it is a mindless game. They could make you feel smart if you play with bad players. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my, I guess my thoughts on the games I played this one. Uh, my thoughts are mostly consumed with a game that we'll all be reviewing later, Imaginarium. Uh, but one of the other games I played was Curios, which is just a small light game. 
that we played, and it was um, it kind of I talked in an early episode about how I wanted more games that involved kind of like bluffing and deduction and things like that there, and it tries to do that. Um, the game is sort of a short, light game. I think we played it in eleven minutes. It was eleven minutes. Yeah, it was eleven Ooh. minutes uh, for that one. So very short and light. And uh, you're basically you have different pawns. You're placing them on different these different sites, and there's different gemstones. And you don't you the really the key of the game is placing your pawns on the sites that are the higher point values. And it kind of has a clue-esque mechanic where there's a card face down at each one of the sites and then everyone else has all the other cards. So you could determine what the cards are down there if you knew all the rest of the cards through process of elimination um, through that one. Um, and you can kind of do a little bit that one to do that uh, to kind of figure out like, oh, well, the one is down for this one, so probably this one's going to be a little higher points or a really high card is for this other site. So, you know, that one is probably going to be on one of the lower values. Um, realistically, I felt it's a fine light game. It's one of those games that's justified for playing simply because it is so short. Like, you're never going to be... It's so short that you're never going to be like, ah, this stinks because you only spend 10 minutes playing it there. Um, but I feel like for this, there's just other games that I'd rather play. I don't think the mechanics are deep enough for this one. I think it really does come down to a little bit of randomness at the end. You say, oh, it was this or oh, it was that. And you kind of just had to make a guess for that one. Um, Is the bluffing people part of it fun? You don't really bluff people. Oh, really. okay. You're having you, a, yeah, go ahead. You can... But it's not advantageous for you. Like if so, if you're holding, let's say, like the seven and a five of the of the shipwreck area. Yeah. Um, so you know it's either going to score one or three. Going there to make people think that that's like good could be a strategy that I don't think anybody's doing because you're trying to you're more focused on trying to get what's the highest. But you have to necessarily be the first idiot who goes there. Yeah, you so you, you go first there. First person you trick is yourself. And people mm-hmm. might think, "Okay, he knows something that yeah. I don't know and, and go there." But I mean, it could be a viable strategy. It's another game by AEG and I think they're actually pretty decent at making like these like gateway games that that mm-hmm. gamers could play with Gateway gamers. Yeah. It felt They're, a little random at the end of the day, but I didn't disenjoy playing. I think it's fine. It's just a little short and a little bit of random there. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, for some reason, my mind is thinking of Celestia is like a game I'd just rather play. I feel like that one has a more plus your luck album, a little bit of bluffing for that one. I feel like the mm-hmm. one plays, although one's a little bit longer. That's probably a good, like, 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I, I quite liked Curious. I played in the same game. I think for what it is, it's, yeah, 11 minutes. You get three rounds in 11 minutes. I mean, for what it is, it's really fun. Yeah, I like it too. And it you can't go into it thinking that it's going to be some serious strategy. Yeah. You just have to have fun with it. And I like that whole, like, you flip the cards and you go, oh, man, yeah. I invested so much in this and it's it's worth one point. I kind of like that. Yeah. Like, like surprise element that is also random. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in, in our game, I had spent so much energy and effort on... The, the red gems because I had the one in the red but I didn't know anything else about it. It ended so up being seven, right? totally gambling. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it kind of scratches that same itch. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this week I played Villainous for the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a Target exclusive game, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And you're... So in Villainous, you take on the role of a Disney villain. So Ursula, Prince John which is cool that they have Prince John. Um, And each villain has a different goal that they're trying to achieve and a different way of playing. 
um, I was really drawn in by that asymmetry. Um, but there's kind of every villain has a deck of cards and you can kind of affect each other in different ways. I mean, I don't think I necessarily need to buy it. I think it's an interesting game. I enjoy playing it once in a while. Um, I think if I were going to buy any version of it, it would be the um, expansion that adds in um, Hades, Dr. Facilier, and one other person. Because you can play it as its own game. It's just three-player. You can't play it four or five, but it's cheaper. Um, some people are comparing it to Root, hilariously, in that you have to play all the expansions before you can have, or all the factions before you can have fun. Do you agree with that? No. I mean, yeah. I think it sounds like it should be like Root, where you have to play all the different villains, but it's not that type of game. Like, it, it it's very card-driven. It's You're drawing cards from your deck. You're drawing cards from other people's deck. It's very card-driven. So I don't feel like you can have the same strategy depth as Root. I think I compared it to Root. Did other people compare it to Root as yeah, well? Yeah, did. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I only compared it to Root. I compared it to Root before I played Villainous. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's like asymmetric and you're mm-hmm. doing something different. But in Root, like the explanation for each faction is much longer than in, yeah. in mm-hmm. Villainous. When we played Villainous, we simply said, this is who I am, this is what I'm trying to do. And it's, like, really easy to remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that these target games are so perfect for being target games. Yeah. Like, I remember before I got into the hobby, that's where I would go to look at games. And, a lo- like, a while ago, there was nothing there that was, like, somewhat inter- in- in- interesting at all. And now there's these games that have these themes on them that somebody would just buy... For the theme, but then show you a little bit more than any than any other kind of mass market game is going to show you. So I think these games are really good at getting people into the hobby. That's going to be cool. Now we'll get into our review of Imaginarium. Uh, so yeah, I mean, last year we looked at the box. I think all of us kind of had a feeling of, I certainly did, a feeling of trepidation. You know, I kind of felt put off by it. And I was like, ah, I don't know about this game. And I think we're all kind of unanimous in this game, or what are our opinions of it. Yeah, see, I, I read the rules before we unboxed mm-hmm. it. And the rules, when I read it, just seemed like lackluster. It seemed like it was... Uh, lacking something which i think you actually said when you're looking at it like i feel like this is going to like have something to be des- left to be desired right yeah and like when i see the, the high production like that it always scares me it always mm-hmm. makes me think like what are they trying to make up for yeah. but i was pleasantly surprised by this like, uh yeah i think we all really liked it uh, i thought it was a good game it was a nice engine building you're building and fixing machines um it has sort of a, a weird like um, so, the basic mechanics of the game is you're, there's a, a market row of cars, and you're pacing your guy down there. And it sounds like a game I'd hate because I usually hate market row games. Matt, mm-hmm. I think you and me are both on the same page with that. Right. Is right, that right. I this hate one? card rovers. Um, but this game, it sort of works. There's a lot of good interplay between the machines building. There seems like there's always a lot of viable strategies um, in this game. Matt, what did you think of this game? Um, maybe I didn't like it as much as you guys. I thought mm-hmm. superficially it was awesome. Um, and then I wonder how long it's going to stay fresh because of the card river. Mm-hmm. I never thought those decisions were interesting. It was either I hope a card comes out that I like or it doesn't happen. 
Um, you know, maybe you're looking for a card that gives you yeah. wooden cubes, and if it doesn't come, it doesn't come. Yeah, um, I think the interesting part about the, the card river is if you want to go first, you're going to have to pay a lot. Mm -hmm. I did like that. That's like the most interesting part about that. And that's what kind of like makes it a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, or you can just say, I'm going last and getting Tricolium, and Tricolium is, is uh, currency in the game. Mm -hmm. I but I, I did have a game where I was searching for particularly a wood machine and it just wasn't coming out. And so it was slowing me down, and it was one of the, um, one of the, the there's like end goal tiles that come uh -huh. out randomly in the, in the setup of the game. And one of them was produce one of each resource. And so when you're searching for that card and it's not coming out, yeah. but there's so many of those in-game tiles that like, mm -hmm. you just need to learn to abandon one and go for another. And they don't knock you for not being the first one to get them too much. It's only one point fewer. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But there's another card river at the top with special abilities and it's a shorter card river and I do have balance questions about them. Again, this game's light enough you shouldn't worry too much about balance, but some of those cards are way good and some of them are unviable. There's two that are probably <laughs> overpowered, which yeah. I've played four games of it and the people that won I feel like were either the person that had you ignore the action wheel. So there's an action wheel and it's it's you have two actions that you can do, and they're like adjacent actions, mm -hmm. and you have to move the wheel every turn. There's a, a an assistant that lets you ignore that completely. There's also an assistant that gives you two extra spots because you only have four spots in your board for built machines, and that those two are, are overpowered. And if they come out in the beginning of the game, that person's probably going to win. Um, I. I agree. I think those two are overpowered, and so I get really nervous when I see anything that lets you ignore, like, a central game mechanic. Yeah. And I tend to point. take those out of the game, because having those two actions that you can take on the action wheel, but they have to be next to each other, mm -hmm. that's like a core game mechanic. That's a mm -hmm. piece yeah. of the puzzle. And I feel like as soon as you take that requirement away, of course, that makes the game easier, and you're going to have a better time winning. Yeah. Um, and then the same thing with the four slots. Like, that's a big piece of the game is you can't dismantle machines if they're combined. You can't put new machines in unless you have a slot. That's a huge part of the puzzle is managing your slots. Yeah, and so you as have, soon as you mm -hmm. make that part easier, of course, that's overpowered. Yeah, so. you have to take the time to build your machine and then take another action to combine the machine, maybe another action to dismantle, and then another action to repair and if you have two extra slots, you're really not that worried about that. Yeah. yeah. And there's some requirements at the end of the game or in-game goals, like having six cards in your tableau, like really easy <laughs> for that because yeah. you just get six cards. You don't have to worry about combining them. But I, at the same time, I feel like that's a really easy fix. Like I'm looking at those cards and I know that those are not balanced because of that rule. If they break the central puzzle of the game, mm -hmm. take them out of the game. Yeah, you could take them out of the game. Maybe I will and future games. I would say that's one of the two downsides of this game. And I don't know if it's a big downside, but it is a, a lighter end of the game. I, I put it towards that like game sort of like Raiders of the North Sea, and it has that little randomness mm -hmm. in it, I think, like that, which is fine if you know what you're going into. And I felt mm -hmm. like for what the game does right, I don't really care if there are different things that... Um, different little bit of randomness that might stymie you or be like, oh, this guy, other guy, got it there. And I feel like a lot of the more... Uh, lighter games tend to do that to give everyone kind of a chance. So if you're looking for a more deterministic game that will perfectly 
be like you can play super competitively. I don't think this is your game, but I just think for what it is, it's very fulfilling. Um, it just feels fun. Building things is fun. I feel like there's always just a fun option to play in the game. Yeah, I, I enjoyed every game I played of it, and I'm looking forward to more. Mm-hmm. And you're right, you have to go in knowing that you're not playing this deep strategy game and just to have fun with it. And if those if those assistants come out in the beginning of the game, maybe reshuffle and deal, or maybe take them out. Anyway, I think minor problems, like, I yeah. think it's kind of, like, exciting to see it come out and watch players, like, yeah. shuffle toward it as quick as they can. And yeah. seeing that, like... I'm going to go to the two Tricolium spot so I can't be blocked. Yeah. Because you're also, you're going first in that order from left to right. I, I think it's, it could, because it is a light Euro, I think it, it's fine. It overcomes those little balance and a little bit of randomness. The other thing is I did felt for my games, uh, there was a little bit of downtime because this game is not multiplayer solitaire because you are interacting on the main board and there are different attack cards. But there is a kind of thing where you can say, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do with my turn. Like, once you've locked in your thing there, there's really not a lot people can do to disrupt you. So there's a lot of times where I would be like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, this on my turn. But I know I'm not going to be able to do that for another seven minutes for the other people to take their turn. Which is, it's whatever. I played a five-player game and it still took an hour and a half. So, like, I don't think it's, like, too bad. I mean, there is downtime. Yeah. Um... But it doesn't bother me so much. I am interested in what people are doing. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I, thumbs up, thumbs down. Justine. Thumbs up. Uh, reluctant thumbs up. Sure, it was so fun. Thumbs in the middle. I'll give it a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thumbs up for me. For sure. Yeah, I give this a solid thumbs up. Sweet. First time. Yeah, first time we've all given it a third yeah. thumbs up. Cool. Unanimous review. Positive review. Okay, now we will get into a board game question slash topic. The topic this week is what makes a good rules teach? The way that we play games in this group is we tend to play um, multiple games, and it might... I think it's pretty rare that we play a game where there has to be zero rules teach. I think the best you can hope for is maybe someone at the table needs a refresher, but you're still going to have to do some kind of teaching. So what is it that makes a good rules teach? Um, I have two things written down. Uh, the first thing is uh, to enunciate. So think of it like an audiobook. Like if you've ever listened to an audiobook, there are readers who will be like and then Harry Potter went to the market and Snape was there and he shot him with a gun and now Harry Potter is dead. Spoilers! Like that but like, and then there's other ones like, and then you open the door. You like, you want to have a little emphasis. There's people who are like, they'll start explaining the rules and like, I just thought they were just like saying something because there's like no emphasis in their voice. You want to be like, yeah, and then you have this. Like you want to do like like, show, like, raise your voice, be like this one, make it, like, do it a little bit, don't just do that monotonous thing there. Um, and so, like, teach, thing, teach with enthusiasm, yeah. right? Like, if, yeah, if you're excited exactly. about the game, you want to get the other players excited okay. about it, and it's going to be easier for you to pay attention if they're, like, yes. really excited. And, yeah. and and I will say, the one person at our group who is literally a teacher is Justine, and she does that, I think, more than anyone else. She's definitely not the only person to do that. Is that something you get from teaching? Mm-hmm. Um, I... I think doing rules teaches for me is a lot like teaching. Mm-hmm. I get really uncomfortable having to do a rules teach if I haven't prepared. So normally if I'm going to teach a rules set, I've read the rules recently, even if it's a game that I know really well, and I've planned out exactly how I'm going to do it. So I know, like I'm going to start with the 
the basic premise of the game. What are we? What's our goal? Um, how do you win? Um, really important information. And then I like to talk about like the structure of a turn. So this is what your turn looks like. I'm not going to get into the minutia of, oh, on your turn you could do this or you could do this or you could do this. I'm going to say mm-hmm. on your turn you're going to take an action. We'll get to that in a second. Then you're going to run your machines, for example, and then you're going to pass. Um, I like to do that mm-hmm. and kind of start really general and broad and move more into the minutia of what can you do. I wish everyone had a phobia for explaining games before they've known them. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I'm going to be a little bit of contrarian here. I like when rules explainers know their audience and know, oh, maybe if you've played this game or this game, I can yada yada this part. Mm-hmm. I can fast forward through that. I can let you fast forward me through that. If I start saying, yeah, 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 then I, as the rules teacher, will let myself be fast forwarded and I'll skip that. And we get the rules explanation done in a tight way. Um, and then at the end, maybe if you're not clear, the person can ask questions. Because people who have played a lot of games are a lot better at learning games. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be totally honest. I've played a lot of games, and I've played a lot of games with you. Your rules explanation makes me really confused and Right back irritated. at you, buddy. Oh, so irritated. Right back at you. <laughs> the way Matt explains games is utter chaos in my mind. Like, I can't follow it. Well, yours I've, is kindergarten. I've been hot again by both of them. Yeah, and I thought they were both fine. Yeah, I thought it was both great. <laughs> they were much better than other people I can name. Like I have a hierarchy of people who explain rules the best to worst. And yeah, if, was... if Matt's gonna explain a game I know how to play, like I have to just shut my eye, my eyes and my ears. And, like I'm not gonna listen because then I'm gonna jump in. Oh, it's bad. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna be a bad example. Um, I could explain like the things that I think I'm good at in teaching, but I don't think I'm the person to say that because I, I hope that I'm good at everything. But I know that I don't explain theme almost ever when teaching a game. Uh, now, for me, I don't care. Yeah, That could be skipped over. I don't care. If I'm reading the rule book, I'll definitely read the theme, especially as mm-hmm. we talked about in the past, if it's like history. But So I need to stop projecting onto other people and assume that nobody cares about the theme. And And honestly, too, like the theme could help explain the game in some senses. I mean, like, if you look at Lorenzo at Magnifico, um, you have three pawns that are represented by dice that are going to be, like, your the knowledge that they've gained that year, and then you have, like, a distant family member that's dumb. Like, you could explain him as, like, <laughs> yeah. the dumb cousin or the drunk uncle who, like, is always has no, no knowledge ever, and that might help somebody in a game when they're playing, like, oh, yeah, this guy can go here... At, with my family because he's a distant family member or I have to add servants to him because he's an idiot <laughs> you know but I think I need and also I think some I, I, I shouldn't assume that maybe one player really has an active imagination and could put theme to these zero games even though they're pasted on so I need to start including theme in every teach even if it's just brief hmm. that's good um, that'd be a good thing. A lot of times I'll reach for the manual just to kind of find out a little bit more about what the board game is. So you're somebody that likes the theme no matter what, right? And no. You, you, Some no, games no? are better than others. Because like, I know that you've asked, like, what what is... I'm, like, saying, like, these resources, yellow, blue. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, what are they? You always uh, ask, like, what 
what are they yeah, called? Yeah, something you need to know that. But also, like, games like Sidereal Confluence or something like that. Sometimes Sidereal they, they, Confluence. So, yeah, whatever. S Confluence. Uh, like, they, they, they do a really good job of kind of, like, making the different things there, so it's worth reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, inside there, there was another game that was kind of like that, where you could read the different factions and they had different cool stuff, but I can't remember it offhand. Uh, Terra Mystica has that. Yeah, uh, Terra Mystica and like different yeah. things, like they want to do this because they hold a grudge against the elves. Or oh, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh-huh. Terra Mystica. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, just different things like that. Um, the other one I was going to bring up is it used to be they tell you the fundamental rule for teaching a game is to say how you win, which I always thought was silly because it's going to be like 90% of the time it'll just be like whoever has the most victory Score points the most money. victory points. And other times it doesn't tell you anything. Like you need to return the wizard's gold, but it's like, okay, well, how do I do You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say explain the core mechanic, like what you're going to do every turn. It's weird that people will start explaining a game and they won't be like, well, what are you doing every turn? Like, are you placing a pawn here and getting different things? Mm-hmm. Are you taking a selection? And they'll just be like, well, here's the wizard's track and if you spend three emeralds, you can get a gemstone. I'm like, well, I, I, this doesn't connect <laughs> to anything else there. Like, start with the very basics of just like what you're doing and interacting mm-hmm. with that and then build it up from there. Yeah, like an overview mm-hmm. and then get into the meat of the game. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I super agree. Um, another thing they tell you not to do is talk too much strategy during your rules explanation. But I think definitely give people heads up about mm-hmm. things that might be counterintuitive exactly. pitfalls. When you're explaining food chain magnet, uh-huh. you really have to emphasize do one of these two strategies yeah. or you are going to completely lose and not have fun the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pipeline, a game that we reviewed recently, uh, there's a lot that's counterintuitive about that and you need to explain it. Don't just explain, hey, I technically told you all the rules, now I'm going to crush your face. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Especially if it's someone who's played those games games similar to that before. I know Pipeline specifically, in a lot of games there's things where, oh, I know as a board gamer that I want to go for these contracts that are going to give me a constant income. No, you're going to slow your game way down, you're going to have an awful time, and you're going to lose. Uh-huh. Or mentioning something like money's tight in this game, so you know, be careful yeah. with it. Or even painfully explaining like, if a building comes out, like that's a really good building, you probably want to get it, even though you're eyeballing it and you're like, I want to get it. Yeah. And if I don't tell yeah. him, he's not going to get it, and it's going to come my turn. I'm going to. You have to like bad teacher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to just like swallow your strategy and say you probably want to get that. Or explaining a little bit like why is this good or why is this work? Like why would you want to go down this track? Well, this goes like here. A lot of times things aren't like it'll help them play the game to more understand how the game works together. And a lot of times the game will have like a, a very early pitfall. Like Lewis and Clark has one where if like you, I forget how it is, but if you like spend all your resources, you don't have a way to like get your oh, bag or something. Yeah. I think you all I your all them. your little meeples. If you spend all your meeples, it's you, really hard to get them back mm-hmm. or something. If you do something like that, yeah. you'd be like, oh, just be aware that if you do that, because people will do that, you can just kind of let people know. I think, I mean, I hate to come back to teaching, but this is kind of, you know, it intertwines. Like, for me, I don't teach and then with the intention of my students failing the test in mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'm not teaching and then hoping that when I give the test, all my students fail. I want to teach and then I want my students to succeed. It's the same thing with teaching board games is I want to give you the rules and then, like, I want to give you a good game. I want to challenge you, but I don't necessarily want it to be like, and then I'm going to crush all of your guys' faces. There was a joke that was said recently last week when we were actually playing Imaginarium. Somebody else taught the game. And after the game was done, 
that teacher to another player that hadn't played it that he was basically teaching was like, I guess I didn't teach you good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's another thing. It's, it's, it's weird. There's a lot of difference between like reading the manual and teaching game and then having played the game once in teaching yes. it. Absolutely. Big difference. Yeah. You, like if you, sometimes the way that mm-hmm. rules are written are written great if you're yeah. reading it. Yeah. But to explain it, maybe you don't want to teach in that exact order. Yeah. You have to kind of teach yourself how to teach the game. Yeah. And by playing the game first really helps with that. I, I knew a, a player that used to play with us a lot who says that he will ta- he'll set up the game, learn it, and take a couple of mock turns mm-hmm. just to see what kind of problems he'll come, come into to see like what he might have to look up. Yeah, that's essential. Yeah, I think Matt and I have a bit of an advantage because... T- we tend to play the games two player. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to worry about taking like the mock turns. Very rarely, I think, do we bring games that we haven't at least played two player. Yeah. I think also the teach doesn't stop after the initial teach. I think the teach continues during the game. Mm-hmm. And in the fact where like if somebody has a question, you don't you don't say, I taught the game. You know, <laughs> or here's the rule book if you want to look it up. I think a good teacher is going to continuously be patient and teach the game while you're playing as well. Oh, and I hate when I forget to mention something and somebody tries to do something that's illegal. Yeah. They're so happy that they've set up this engine and they get to have this rewarding turn. And you have to be like, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, attention to detail is big because I've done that before in a game where I've taught the game. And then I forgot something major. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you could also spend two resources to make this happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. It's the worst. Yeah. Kind of so, ruins the game. Yeah. So attention to detail is like, uh, just, we should stress that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think like the A number one rule is don't come with a game new and shrink. Yeah. <laughs> Open the game and say, okay. <laughs> Unless it's a super simple game. Like mm-hmm. Curios, we just read that mm-hmm. and did it. But it had right, right. such simple rules. Yeah. Well, I yeah, think you just grabbed the rule book, read it, and then taught it, like, right yeah, then and there. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that, that is a good point, though. Don't come with a game that you yeah. haven't read the rules for. Yeah. yeah. Like, I've, I've had that situation before where somebody sat me down and, like, like kind of went over it, and then, like, we were reading the rules together, and I was like, no, this is what we do at home, right? Yeah, yeah. this is homework. Yeah. <laughs> I've also had a player in the past, this was a while ago, be setting up the game and handed me the rule book and said... Here, just learn the game because I don't know it that well. And it was uh, Yokohama, and oh my I was gosh. like, I was like, I'm not going to read this whole thing right now. Yeah. What? I was going to say, I feel like that's like a rite of beginning board gaming passage where people are just like, I just bought a game. Let's just figure it out there. And you're yeah. like, No, this is not like you can do that if it's Yahtzee. You can't do it for this game. And if they're new, then like they don't understand. Like we're not yeah. passing judgment. We're giving you caution. Like, yeah. don't come to a yeah. board game store with a game that you don't know how to play. You're not going to learn it together. Yeah. That could be done at home with your significant other. That's that's kind of fun. I, yeah. I would do that with my fiancé where we'd bust out a game and we'd, like, read the rules to each other and figure yeah. out the game together, and that's kind of fun. Yeah. It's not fun to do with a gaming group. Yeah. yeah. Especially, like, I feel like if people have a limited amount of time. Like, you're four hours True. playing games. Yeah. You're not just sitting there, like, on a rainy afternoon, got nothing going on. Exactly. Yeah. And now our top three engine building games. Starting with Jacob. Should we define it first? No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't think we should. I don't even know how to define that. Also, like the looseness of the definition uh, is I like how I came with all my titles. If it feels like I'm building an engine during the game, 
then it's an injured building game to me. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good definition for it. So your gut tells you. I want things to snowball. I want to have inputs into outputs, which outputs become the inputs and give you more outputs and more outputs and more outputs. (laughs) I think of like an engine. You put gas in it, and it gives you movement. Mm -hmm. Like a a good engine building game is going to be the example of you put things in to get things out, Mm -hmm. or... You spend things to get things, and now that thing's generating things for you. Mm-hmm. A generation. Kind of passive of, income yeah. comes across a lot. Right. Like where your game is going to get better and better, mm-hmm. and it's viable to the game where if you build a bad engine, you're going to do bad. I was thinking about like those old Final Fantasy games, or like an RPG where you start off, you're a level one peasant, and you have mm-hmm. a wooden dagger. And then you're just building up there, and then suddenly you're a guy there. <laughs> That's kind of how I want the board game to feel. You start off with two dollars and mm-hmm. some bubble gum, and you know shoes with holes in them. And then later, you're, <laughs> you know, however it does that. And now your engine, you run it every turn. You get seventeen income and fifteen gemstones or what have you. Do you guys see deck building as engine building games? Yes, 100%. because they are defined as engine building games. Yes, 100%. technically, I feel like it's its own genre now. Yeah. But yeah, you are building an engine of cards, and you're Absolutely. laying them down. And but yeah. I never like think of that when I'm playing a, a a deck building game. Some give me that feeling, but most like yeah. I just I feel like it's well, completely I mean, the, different. The grandfather of in deck builders, Dominion, definitely uh-huh. has an engine building. Some of them, other ones, maybe not so much. Like I don't really feel that when El Dorado so much, but like a lot of deck builders definitely have that engine building. Feel. Super Motherload, I think, feels way oh, more like an yeah. engine building game. Because you have your supplies down here, your own personal yeah. market that you can buy from, and you're literally like leveling up. You have to get this card before you can get this card. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't have any deck building games on my list, but I thought about something and put them down there. Yeah. Um, you have my listed name down listed as the first person, so I'll just go with my first one. Okay. And it's a game I played a long time ago, um, and I think you were the one who brought it out there Steampunk Rally. This is a game where you're building a weird contraption. You're all um, historical inventors in a weird steampunk alternative universe. And you're just building this weird contraption to go forward and things can explode and your contraptions can break down. And uh, I just thought it was fun. It's a good, relatively light engine building game where you're literally building an engine. And it just feels like a good light game that I had fun with. Uh, my number three is also Steampunk Rally. Yeah, and for the reason because it is literally an engine-building game. It's a it's a racing game, but the way you're going is with dice, and you're putting dice on engines, on cards that are representing your actual engine. And I thought it was just like such a perfect example of an engine-building game because you're literally building an engine. And it has like Tesla and... Um, Bunch of famous people in it, yeah, right? I don't Who know are some Edison, other people? Like? Does it yeah, have, Edison, uh, does it have, the yeah, Wright Einstein. brothers, and Einstein. Yeah, yeah. it's like famous sciencey people. You, pro- I think, Madame Curie uh, mm-hmm. is all sciencey people you've probably heard of. A representative. They're all wearing steampunk gear, and it's all steampunk. That's awesome. Um, my number three is Energy or Manhattan Project Energy Empire. Mm, I almost put that down. Um, it's very engine building to me because you're acquiring cards. It's um, you're acquiring resources that you then feed through these cards to get things. So it might be you're gonna have less pollution. Might be you're gonna have more pollution. It's not my favorite of the Manhattan Project series, um, but it's definitely up there. I like the Manhattan Project series as a whole, and mm-hmm. that's definitely a good example of an engine builder. 
Uh, mine's 51st State. Um, I don't usually like games where you just have a deck of cards and you're kind of just randomly getting a bunch of cards off the top. But it has a lot of um, ways to mitigate that. With Each card is kind of multi-use and flexible. Uh, you can destroy it yourself and get some perks right now. You can slot it under different places and start building your engine. Um, and at a certain point, there's an inflection point where you stop building your engine and you start sacrificing your engine to score points. And that's um, a really fun race. Um, it's also a mean game that is somehow really well balanced and I never am too grumpy when somebody destroys my building. You know, there's a little bit of compensation. And um, there's kind of a puzzle of when people mess with your engine, because it's highly interactive, okay, how am I going to rebuild it? It's not just a linear thing, like I get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, there are definitely setbacks, and it's an interesting puzzle. Uh, my number two was Lorenzo L. Magnifico, a game that's often praised in this board game group there. It's kind of a, uh, a fun game. Uh, I'm not sure how I would describe that one, but it's just a really fun game. You really do feel like you're building this 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 thing up and a lot of times you have this literally have this engine thing that'll run when you put the right inputs into it and um yeah lorenzo and magnifico i should probably buy that game i feel like one of those is one of the games i want to have my board game shelf just have games that are like the all-stars of board gaming but anyway <laughs> that's neither here nor there um i really like the engine building parts of lorenzo um it's fun I don't usually win and take first. I've built some really, really cool engines and taken second or third in that game. I can't kind of wrap my head around it sometimes. I'm not sure having such a good engine is a good strategy. People do cheesy stuff. I don't even know. But that, to me, is like the mark of a board game that you can lose and do something cool and be like, I just had fun. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I've also, most of the times when I win that game, it's because of my engine building in that game. Mm. Okay. And I that would be probably my number one, except... I don't want to put Lorenzo down as in my in every single list. <laughs> the the thing is is about Lorenzo is it's like multi mechanics. There's set, there's aspects of set collection in it. There's worker placement. There's engine building. There's resource conversion and asymmetric powers. Yeah, there's That's so strapping. much that it's just like one of my favorite games of all time, and I'll leave it at that, and I won't suggest it ever again to anything else. <laughs> no, I think it's a great suggestion for engine building because it has it's not a core mechanic. But if it's your winning strategy, it is, and it is mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I just barely changed mine because I was reminded of a game that I really enjoy, and that is Space Explorers. Um, it has booted Splendor off of our board gaming shelf. Um, so in this game, you are um, acquiring cards in order to... Um, so in Space Explorers, you acquire cards that have symbols, it's a lot like Splendor with the gemstones, and then you can use those symbols to acquire more powerful cards that let you do things. But the cards do will give you special powers. Um, and as you're going through the game, you're going to be covering those up, and you won't have access to those anymore. It's a really interesting puzzle of when do I cover these over, when do I give up this, um, this power. Um, so yeah, Space Explorers. Space Explorers is like a better Splendor just in every way. Artwork, yeah. mechanics. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's a Splendor killer for me. Yeah. They have it here. Are you going to buy it? Heck yes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, my number two could probably be considered more of a tableau building game than an engine building game, and I wonder what the difference is. Yeah. Like, 
I think basically the difference is like in engine building, it's a little more free of like what how you can build, and in tableau building, you have this set like this is what you can build, and basically you're building by either taking off or putting on, and in this case, like taking off things. Well, engine building isn't a mechanic tableau; it's just a mechanic of the game. Engine building is just sort of a feeling that you get as the game progresses. Is that right? Yeah. Based on how the way things interlock and I'd combine and. Yeah. Right. Um, so mine is Terra Mystica. Um, yeah, Terra Mystica, you have a tableau in front of you and you start with pieces on it representing different things and buildings and you have to basically like unlock them by doing certain things and you take off buildings and now like you're a bit more powerful, you could do different things. And it has some asymmetric things where if you take off this building, now you've unlocked this special power. Um, I mean... Terra Mystic is what, like a favorite game among us, yeah. and like I Definitely. think it represents engine building pretty decently. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny how you and I are trying not to talk about Lorenzo and Terra Mystica every time, but then other people yeah. <laughs> among us are still bringing it up. <laughs> I, uh, I, the, my favorite part about the engine building aspect of Terra Mystica is how there are coins and workers, so there's two different kinds of currencies, and how to balance them. You mm-hmm. don't want an exactly, exactly equal number of both, necessarily you skew it differently depending on different conditions and that's a fun puzzle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never thought of Terra Mystica as an engine building game, but you've convinced me. You're mm-hmm. right. It definitely mm-hmm. is an engine building game. Just like it's engine building outside this engine building. Yeah, right? exactly. It's very similar exactly where you're it. like just taking off pieces instead of putting in stuff. Right. Yeah. But now they give you income. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um my number two is Zeng Wo. It's a what's your game? Um and uh, I think What's Your Games are underrated, and I think it's underrated within What's Your Games. I'm surprised people don't play it more. Uh, basically, the engine building aspect is you have a multi-use card, and you can either play it for one of its six basic actions, or you can slot it out under your board to soup up that basic action every subsequent time you play it. Um, but you can't just naively slot 100 cards under your board and then all of your actions are good. You don't have time to do that. Um, it's really hard to find the inflection points and not overdo it because it's so much more fun to slot it under and build up your engine. But at a certain point, you need to take the time aside to make a dinky little turn just to get you know, a coin or two or get a little mini objective. Uh, that was Zeng Wo. I've never even heard of this game. <laughs> and I, I like what's your games. I think those are really solid games. Mm-hmm. And they made a they made a, a filler game, right? Called Loot Island. Mm-hmm. And it was like the heaviest filler game I've ever played. <laughs> yeah. It was like great. So uh, yeah, I'd like to play that sometime. I'll bring it. You'll, bring you'll it. like it. Fun, fun time. Alright, now we're getting into our Number one engine building game, and I'm gonna put down Food Chain Magnate. Ah, I almost uh, Food Chain yeah, Magnate is almost as like you're building a tableau of employees, and each one of those employees are gonna have to do stuff uh, for you. So they're gonna let you price things differently, or get supplies, or this, that, and the other. And by the end of the game, you should have this giant uh, inverted pyramid of employees uh, just doing stuff and giving you stuff there. Uh, but the really good ones cost money and. Income is not assured in food chain magnet. It is a competitive market. Um, so you got to make sure you know how to pay few people there. Uh, food chain magnet is a good, mean game that's very fun, and uh, it's my number one choice for an engine building game. I love food chain magnet. And, you know, <clears throat> there's a saying if you're running a company, it being a well-oiled machine, yeah. and, like, that's what you're trying to do. The pieces of your machine in this game are people yeah. and employees. 
and you you can get certain employees and you and you have to unlock other employees right but if you go down one route like sometimes these employees don't unlock anybody and the tech tree in that is really cool mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a good one i like the pitfalls in it too it's not it's another one where you don't just get linear linearly better and better um you can get priced out and then all of a sudden you're not selling anything and you have to start firing people and you can be back to square one super loser place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's so interactive <laughs> when you're just doing these things and everything somebody else does when interact with your board and just yeah you got to figure it out and it's just it's mean too like you do feel that mm-hmm. a feeling of a small business owner shuttering up shuttering mm-hmm. his business and- i was just gonna say that i feel like it's really the theme really does come through because running a business is like mm-hmm. juggling and like oh, should i fire them i don't know or should i hire this person and it really yeah. like makes it feel that way and if you mess up like in an actual company you fail hard uh, my number one is underwater cities. Um, I think it beats terraforming Mars. Um, I really like the pace of the game. Um, after a game of underwater cities, I kind of am good for a second. I couldn't imagine starting from square one. I'd be like, oh, but it got so fun and big, and now I just I wouldn't want to go back to the dippiness. I would need to let it sit for two weeks. Um, and then it's hard to balance your engine in that game. Because you use money to build money buildings and you use kelp to build kelp buildings, etc. And so it's hard not to just get more and more of what you have and therefore don't need. And then, you know, you're super poor. You can't feed your cities. Uh, You have to have creative workarounds to that. Um, My number one uh, was your number, was Matt's number three. It's 51st State. Um... I was <clears throat> I was shown this game and I loved it and I went to go buy it but then I bought Imperial Settlers instead. I heard that Imperial Settlers was just like a more streamlined version of it and I made the wrong decision. <laughs> it's too easy in Imperial Settlers. It, everything is like very you just put them down and and in, and what I like in 51st State is it's a little punishing like you everything takes time and effort and that's what I like in a good engine building game is the struggle. I mean, you could walk up a hill and see a mediocre view, or you could struggle up a mountain and see an amazing view, and that's what I want out of a, an engine-building game. So just to add what you've already said to 51st State, like I just like the struggle in it. And that's my number one, 51st State. Um, my number one, and I'm kind of worried about this one because I feel like it's very cult of the new, for us anyway. It's a new game for us. And my number one is Ray Cult. Um, mm-hmm. It's a game by Rosenberg. Um it's set in Iceland, and in Iceland, to grow vegetables, they have to use um, greenhouses. Um, and so in Raycult, basically, you are trying to get vegetables, to plant vegetables, to get more vegetables, to move yourself around the track. And it's one of those things where the farther along the track you are, you're, is how you win. Um, and so you have to pay like a tomato to move and then you have to pay a carrot to move but the thing is is you're moving along the track one of those spaces instead of paying the vegetable you take the vegetable um and i think the interplay of you have to have the vegetable to plant the vegetable to make more of that vegetable um along with moving that um moving your marker along that track makes for a really interesting engine building Um, I thought it was really fun. I'm pretty sure it is Cult of the New. It is literally the most recent game we've (laughs) bought. 
But your lists are all going to tend to be that way. You yeah. really do like new games and novelty in games. So yeah. that's, cool. that's cool. I I like new games too. Yeah, and who like, doesn't? Yeah. I I have to like stop myself from putting them on the list only because like I need to look at what stood the test of time for me. Mm-hmm. Because if not, then I would put every new game on my list. Mm-hmm. Like that's why I didn't put Imaginarium as as in yeah. engine building because but it might it might after a few more plays or years join my list exactly. but that's what's great about these lists is we can revisit them in the future and they'll be completely different yeah. right yeah exactly the first i haven't played ray colt so and i don't want to uh no i will play it uh no, i just I like, like i'm really cold on on rosenberg games mm-hmm. we've been cold on rosenberg for a while honestly like we didn't ever buy Nushfjord. you've been cold on i think i'm the only one in the group that's been hot the whole time well no not his Uwe. new games not his new okay. games like most of like a lot of the games that he's had, we've not bought because it's the same game. Like we're not going to buy. Been cold on we're not going to buy Cottage Garden and Indian Summer and yeah. what the other Spring one? Spring Meadow. Meadow. Yeah. Like those are the same game to me. Yeah. I'm not going to pay for that three times. But Ray Colt, we played it a demo, a demo copy of it, and it was so different from anything he's done. It like feels like Gates of Wayang is the closest. And he hasn't done anything like that in so long. It's different enough. I'll try. I need to try one of his newest games. I'll try it sometime and see if maybe it sparks. Maybe I won't sell Caverna after I play it. (laughs) (laughs) Caverna is great. Uh, No, I mean, well, I'm already injured building, but no, I do want to. I do want to play that game. I also want to try Feast for Odin with Norwegians. I'm hearing a lot of good chatter on. Yeah, I gotta try that too. Yeah, it's like a lot of people's favorite. All right, so now we will box unbox Snowdonia. Uh, I should say that this is the Deluxe Master Set, which was yeah. a Kickstarter. The original one was from 2014. So this is definitely a deluxified version because it is almost a cube. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's heavy. I can use this for weight training easily. So if you <laughs> bought this. Look at the fire aids. It arrived. Like a cool meeples. or something like that. Oh, okay. Snowdonia is new? I thought this was older. Oh, it's a scenario book. Okay. I was like, that is the thickest rule book. Yeah. <laughs> That's a picture book. Look at these <laughs> meeples. Oh, look at, look at these meeples. Look at these. They're all got little stickers on them and stuff. And they got this little is guys. impressive. This is kind of impressive. I don't know how much of this is in the deluxe set with like little stickers on. Like, look at the wood. It's not just the wood. It's got little like contours. So it's it looks screen like printed, little... right? Yeah, it's screen printed yeah. stuff. Oh, the rules are actually not bad. That... It's 11 pages, but... This yeah, game they has have... cards. <laughs> cards and cards and cards. Cards and cubes. So, I'm thinking I'm going to like this already on account of on the cover, it looks like there's farming involved. I'm seeing the words laborers. There's flowers. Like our thing. Gosh, there is pieces to this game. And every almost every single thing but the cubes are screen printed. Um, have we mentioned it's designed by Tony Boydell, whose BGG says he's designed Guilds of London and fits the card game, is what is I've it? played. There's like six games coming out this year. It's prolific. That's pretty. I like that board. So it looks like it has a, <gasps> has a cube that is like, whoever grabs this first, current first player, smallest feet, what? most trains. That's my favorite. Slowest thinker. <laughs> Most stone. 
Do you roll this and then? All right. Hairiest fingers, most. This cold. has got to be a Kickstarter exclusive. Huh. Is this central to the game? Plan? I wonder if this is optional. <laughs> that's that's weird. I can see people lining their feet up against each other. Ooh. Like we're both size twelve. Who's got the longer feet? You know. That's crazy. I don't know if that's like. Maybe it's optional. That's pretty sexist if you nice... need big feet and hairy fingers to be good at this game. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm I have no idea. My expectations are like Yeah. I have no idea. I know nothing. It about looks this game. really cool. Like looks... I like the graphic design, I like all the screen printed meeples. There's a lot of cards. And it just like it looks like it could be fun, and I hope it is because it's really cool looking. Mm-hmm. Games with shovel icons are always good so far. <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. I don't think I've ever played a shovel or a game without. Mm-hmm. Like I like that icon. big heavy boxes just <laughs> filled with components. I feel like they're filled with mystery and wonder, and the inlay looks really nice. So. Oh yeah, it has like a really good inlay. Yeah. Just like look and at the, the, the boxes for the thing that has like Snowdonia on the yeah. top of it. I'm a little concerned about the rules just because, like, the player aids look like it's too, like, a front and back full size sheet. Um, if you need that much help during oh, the wait, game. Wait a minute. Wait yeah, a sometimes wait games, especially like these deluxe damage. games, will do that just like. Are you saying this? Like, too much information is better than no information kind of thing. Right? I mean, it gets sort of work there. Get worse. Um, yeah, I don't what do you What are you guys' expectations? Um, I see a railway, but no, like, hexes, which is always good. I know I'm definitely leery of, like, route building that 18xx thing. Um, but, like, I like Russian railroads. Yeah, I'm going to like it. I know it. Calling it right now. Yeah. 7.4 BGG. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it came out in 2014 and it got a Kickstarter, like, People want to see this game again, so yeah. right away I'm like thinking it, it could be good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to play it. I'm excited for it. Risto's Cave of Crowdfunding Wonders. Uh, welcome, Risto. Uh, thanks. Well, I just wanted to talk about Kickstarter. Um, I had prepared a lot of topics, I guess, yeah. but. Um, I want to talk in particular about um, when you first go on Kickstarter, um, it's sorted by magic. I don't know. And it's a crowdfunding site for all kinds of things. Games is just part of it. Um, I don't know. How do you guys browse Kickstarter? Have you ever just gone on Kickstarter? And uh, do you sort by new? Do you sort by popular? Do you sort by default? Have you ever actually I, gone to a Kickstarter? I've never gone to like Kickstarter.com and been like, what board games are there? I always get sent to Kickstarter from another link, like somebody hyping up a board game or something. Or we have a Kickstarter going on if you like this game. Um, I tend to look, um, and I don't know if I sort this way, but I just scroll past anything that doesn't have very much funding. I know that's kind of counterintuitive <laughs> and bad, but I'm like... I'm really leery of the board games that are like, even if they look really good, I'm really leery of the ones that are like, hey, we're this duo that haven't designed games before, and this is our game idea, and they have like $10 from their mom. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I get an email that I forget what it was, but I just, I get an email that has like a list of like the trending board games, board game Kickstarters, like what's like meeting. They're like getting funded, 
and I, I look at those. Uh, yeah, I think there's kind of two sides to Kickstarter. Uh, in a way, there's the side where there's a lot of polished, popular projects which are well-funded, and there's also what Justine was talking about, just random people kind of putting out some ideas and, hey guys, this is my game, hopefully it works out. So there's kind of a risk involved in Kickstarter, which is not apparent at first. It kind of looks like a store. A lot of people look at it like a store. I've seen comments like people back things and they like expect them to deliver and they treat it mm. like a store, like where is this? And you know, like people promise dates and they miss them just because things happen. So there's definitely kind of risk involved um, there. There's risk involved even with even with more kind of polished and fun, well-funded yeah. projects. Actually, most recently, um, I was looking at Solar City. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but it's this Polish company, and they publish actually a lot of other games, I think, in um, in Poland. And the CEO apparently just took a bunch of money and ran, more or less. So um, my first question with that is, how much risk is there really? Because I know there's some sites where you can fund a project, but if it doesn't get produced, you get that money back. That's but what Kickstarter does, right? Well, that's if it doesn't meet a funding goal. So let's say, like, if it just doesn't hit the $20,000, the project doesn't fire, you get your money back. But mm -hmm. if it, a lot of projects, if it hits the funding goal, like $20,000, the money will be transferred to the creators, but then they'll leave to Siberia or something. And they'll be like, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a fun mini game to me. I don't want to play that <laughs> mini game. <laughs> yeah, it's not very frequent, but it does happen. So, um, yeah, there's also just risk of late delivery. Would that annoy you guys? Um, some games have been delayed for like years, actually. I try and so I don't know how many. We should go around and say how many Kickstarter projects we've backed. Zero. You've, zero. You guys have backed zero. How many have you backed? One. I probably backed a good. Four Kickstarter projects. How many? Wait, how, before I continue, how much? How many of you backed? Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, a lot. Uh, some of them are small, but you said you had a, like six right now that you're waiting to. Oh uh, yeah, probably more than ten. I don't know, like fifteen or something like that. I'm not like <laughs> hundreds or whatever, but yeah. Would it? So would, would, it annoy, would it annoy me? I mean, years would definitely annoy me, right? But what I found with my only experience with a Kickstarter was I forgot about it. That's like, there's that time where you, you back it, and then you're watching it the entire time. You're watching yeah. it go up. It, mine was Escape Plan. It got funded, like, really, like, the first day, I think. Mm -hmm. But So that wasn't, like, I wasn't, like, on the edge of my seat waiting for it to, like, hit its goal. But I was waiting to for unlock, uh, um, what do they call it, uh, goals, the Kickstarter goals. goals. Yeah, the stretch mm -hmm. goals. And that was, like, fun to me to, like, look and see where it's at. Oh, yes, we unlocked this and it unlocked this. Um, and then after that was gone, when it was over, uh, I forgot about it, right? I, and then all of a sudden I got an email that's, like, you know, it, they're shipping. And I'm like, yeah. oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if I was backing a lot of projects, I would probably forget and it would probably just be a pleasant surprise if it arrived. Yeah. I think if it was, like, years later, I probably might be reminded of, like, wasn't there a game I was supposed to get? <laughs> But I don't think it would annoy me that much. I understand that like problems can happen, and I don't think that they're not trying to get it in the hands of consumers. Mm -hmm. I think they want to get the games to people. So I don't typically like blame them or, or like feel that negative about it. What's the most typical time frame? Is it like one year? Is that kind of part of the course? Uh, the most there's kind of no super typical time frame, but okay. yeah, I would say one year. Some projects are actually very very finished. Um, I think Escape Plan is actually an example of a very finished project. Uh, it was 
done. Mm-hmm. They're basically, it's one of the companies, Eagle Griffin, which basically I feel like uses it as a pre-order store, yeah. which is kind of like, like I said, the two sides of Kickstarter. There's some companies which are just beginning to design their games or they have something to show off, but it's nowhere near finished. And then there's things that are done and already submitted to manufacturing and like basically we're going to get it in like four months or five mm-hmm. months or something. Sure. So those are kind of the two sides. But yeah, I would say it kind of ranges from three months to um, there's actually a game that I backed. I'm hoping it arrives. It's pretty solid guy, a living planet. It's the guy that did Archipelago. I can't remember his name. Uh, it was like two years ago and a half now, I think. <laughs> Basically what happened is he just wanted to kind of polish the game. He wanted to redesign the art and they changed the art and it kind of got delayed uh, a lot. So it does happen even with larger projects. I just wanted to mention some other interesting kind of uh, risk related weird things. Um, I know Matt and Justine were recently looking at the barrage thickness of oh, yeah. boards complaints. That's that's a risk as well. Like component quality is not what I, what was promised. To me that's not as big of a deal I guess because I don't care about components as much but apparently there's a big controversy about just the thickness of the boards that they promised versus what they're actually delivering and then a lot of people are like hating on the company. Actually, yeah, how do you guys feel about uh, a lot of people leave like one reviews on Board Game Geek with that stuff? Because uh, the Kickstarter was Because the Kickstarter was bad, <laughs> like, yeah. Who cares about the gameplay? <laughs> yeah. I feel like it kind of ruins the the rating the system. system. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why I hardly ever pay attention to BGG ratings because I don't know the circumstances in which why they're there or like or it's the other way they backed it they invested money in it so they're giving it a high rating yeah. because like they're biased mm-hmm. towards the product right because like they own it and they're like no it's, it's good right it's good yeah. like because they put so much money in it they feel like buyer's remorse maybe that helps them feel better <laughs> if, if they think that it's actually a good game I think like with the BGG ratings yeah you have to take those all with a grain of salt um, and I I have a hard time knowing with Kickstarter because on the one hand, like I think our hobby is one that is really open to experimentation and new people coming in and new designers. And sometimes this is the only way they're going to get their product out there. And because of that, I think sometimes there's going to be um, over, what would you help me with my word, over achievement, over ambitious, over ambition. Yeah. Um, because you've got this game that you've invested all this time designing and you're like, oh, I want this to be so good and I want it to look good and I want it to be pretty. And you realize like, oh, these stretch goals that I've set are not going to cover the cost of like these screen printed meeples or Mm -hmm. the deluxe resource pieces. Um, But then you look at like with Barrage, that's from an established board game designer. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, they should know what these things are going to cost. Yeah. For me, to answer your question, like if, if they're like, this board is going to be a quarter inch thick and then it's like just under, like that's not going to bother me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess like if they say that all the meeples are going to be screen printed and all the coins are going to be metal and I get the coins and it's a punch board and all the meeples are not screen printed, I might be just like puzzled on like why I paid so much money. Mm-hmm. Like, that might be a thing. As far as, like, small differences, though, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's ever happened. I don't know if they promised 
metal coins and screen printed meeples and they don't deliver that yeah. they deliver something else i don't know if that's ever happened but i feel like there's a scale you know and if it's if it's simply like the, the boards are a little bit thinner than they said that's not going to bother me yeah specifically barrage had like a checklist of 10 things that they over promised there was supposed to be like an ultraviolet little decal on it and the components are thinner and stuff that's maybe an extreme case but there is a lot that they are over promising and i also think that uh tends to be the market for kickstarter people who didn't do, tend to do a lot of kickstarters versus a lot the large board game are specific board game hobbies i feel like a lot of people the way kickstarter sell that is based on like artwork really cool minis components this yeah. that and components and so people are buying it on that whereas i feel like the one you did was because it was designer designer guy. pedigree was why i backed yeah. Yeah. About it. And that's tend to how we do it. Then we want mechanics for that one. So if you can say the game is really good, but the components, maybe you skimped here or there. If the game is well, be like, well, it's good, but the game's still good, either good or bad. Probably Barrage is going to hit retail pretty soon with lower components, and all of us are going to be happy with it. Yeah. yeah. I'd just be happy to play the game. I'm excited yeah. for it. I think the problem with Barrage thickness was because the company has done only like smaller games before and it's a very well established company. I can't remember which one it is, but it's their first Kickstarter where they're doing like a larger game. So that's kind of like something that uh, it's an established company, but they're trying something new. And I guess that's like the Kickstarter mm -hmm. spirit. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Uh, some things that I've just kind of picked up over the years, which were interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Project Elite. It was mm -hmm. actually kicked, uh, reprinted recently by Simon, and actually I kind of like the theme less of the reprint, but that aside, the original had miniatures issues. The miniatures look like blobs or something. That's, <laughs> that's what I've heard. I've never actually seen the issue. Uh, the designer actually almost quit the hobby uh, quit like being a designer he he was just dealing with all these complaints and he personally just was kind of like well i don't want to deal with this yeah. <laughs> this, this sucks <laughs> i just don't want to yeah i i'm gonna like quit designing games because of this horrible experience with <laughs> the miniatures i think that's pretty much what uh, he was saying and I'm actually amazed that I, I guess he gave the rights to Simon or something to reprint it later. But that was uh, one of the earlier larger Kickstarter. Um. Uh, that would be really annoying to me if I was a game designer and I produced a game and people liked it for the most part. And then they were just complaining about like um, the miniatures yep. and to me about it. I'm like... I'm a designer, not an artist. I have yeah, nothing I'd... to do with like the mold. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wash my hands of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a crazy thing about Kickstarter, though. Is you're kind of everything. You're the designer, publisher, and basically you're the investor if you're backing the project. Mm -hmm. So, um, another thing, Odin's Ravens. I don't know if you guys have heard of that game. Mm -hmm. It's a very yeah. small yeah. kind of two-player game, and actually, I've played it with someone in the group. Uh, the original game was released, I think, in 2002 or something, a long time ago. There was a redesign, re revision, revised edition, I think. Uh, the guy basically took the money and ran. Seems to be a theme with Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, we, the people are saying actually they found him, like his identity or whatever, and somehow they connected him when he's like trying to scam people on eBay with synthesizers or something like nowadays. <laughs> so basically there's just like these scammy wow. people. The weird thing with that game was actually Osprey uh, picked up the rights and just like everything and they actually made games and shipped them to people 
they didn't actually have a financial obligation to do it, but they just were nice enough to like just fulfill the Kickstarter basically. It was kind of like a smaller game. It basically is a deck of cards with two pawns and a tiny board. It's a mm-hmm. two-player game. Um, but it's pretty cool of them that they did that, and it's actually a pretty cool game. I Like I said, I played it with someone. It's like a very simple two-player game, but it's pretty awesome. So it would have been just really sad if that just didn't happen because some scammy guy just uh, ran with I'd money. like to see a board game of your you are people fulfilling Kickstarters and you've mm-hmm. taken the money and you've run and now you're trying to escape. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> the the weird thing with taking the money and running actually I looked it up there's there is legal obligation to deliver the Kickstarter. Uh, the problem is obviously I think the Kickstarter people don't want to deal with the legal side of it so like you have to file lawsuits I, against it wasn't the really a board so but there yeah. was somebody who did like a lawsuit file related to like a Kickstarter crowdfunding thing. I believe it was on Kickstarter. It was some kind of tech thing. I'd have to look it up there. There's yeah. been so many. But I actually looked at the agreement and you are committing to deliver something or refund people mm-hmm. uh, as a creator or whatever. So if you don't, then... There is technically legal recourse. Um, is it federal? Is it a federal? Uh, that's the thing. Is a lot of these people are like not from the U.S. either, so you have to like deal with international I think courts. Oh, I think. Yeah. Just, yeah. I think it's civil, is what it would be. Oh, okay, but it's a civil case, especially here in the U.S. It would yeah. be civil. It's not a crime. Um, well, I mean, it might be fraud if they specifically. I don't know. Whatever. It it just makes me so sad that this is a thing that happens because this is what makes me so leery of backing Kickstarters, and like on the one hand. Like I said, I want to encourage like new designers, people new to that side of the hobby to try and to put themselves out there. But at the same time, I don't want to be the one that spends $120 to have someone run off with my money. Yep. Yeah, and it's like, it goes against the board gaming community. Like the board gaming community is so like, out of all, uh, out of all communities that there are, mm-hmm. you know, um, I feel like this is the most honest yeah. Like where we can go to a flea market and leave a $300 game or that they're, we're they're selling for $300 and no security. Somebody could easily walk out with it and it doesn't happen. Yeah. Like at these conventions. Like, so I'm not saying like bigger conventions don't have problems of getting games stolen, but like in comparison to other communities, I feel like this is the most honest. Magic the Gathering. Like Magic the Gathering definitely has a problem with that because, especially because of the high value. Uh, of the cards and stuff like that. Oh, there are a bunch of cheaters. You can go YouTube yeah. Magic at the Gathering cheaters. But there's one those scam I know suck. where people would have like the really old cards, and people would say, "Hey, can I see one of those cards just to look at it?" Because it's like a really Stealing old, cards, famous yeah. cards, mm. and they would just grab it and just walk away with it. I'm not in that community, so no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I mean it's it's part of our nature, like. Uh, for you to be interested in the board game hobby, like I feel like you can't really be a cheater. Like, how fun is it to play a board game and cheat and win? Like, mm-hmm. you, I, I just and the same thing with it. like buying a game versus stealing a game. Yeah, like the same thing. Like, like to me, I don't think I'd ever if I stole a game like from a convention. I don't think I could ever enjoy it. I think every time I'd pull it out, I'd be like, yeah. oh. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Definitely, like, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Like, how fun is it to win a game by cheating? It's not. And you need people in the board gaming community. Like, I mean, you could play solo games, but but we're not really solo gamers. We need people to play with. And I feel like you're just, like, throwing out this bad karma if you're stealing, <laughs> yeah. like... If you are found out about it, nobody's going to want to play with you, you know, yeah. then now you, your hobby is dead. 
Um, the last kind of curious thing, uh, Glory to Rome, I don't know if you've definitely heard of the game, but I don't yeah. know if you know like kind of the history. I actually don't know the history too much, but there was a Kickstarter project. Actually, it's the art that we played recently with someone in the group. Black Box. Yeah. I don't know if it's black box, but it has like black and white kind of minimalistic art. Yeah, super I don't minimal. Know. Yeah. That's what they call it, the black box. Anyway, uh, the guy lost his house in the Kickstarter because he realized costs were running over and mm. he just didn't want to charge people extra. So he was basically... He ended up. It was a second house, though. Like uh, oh, it's uh, not not his. Like he wasn't like on the, he wasn't on the street again. Like except, but supposedly he had like he has multiple properties or something. He's probably like well off. But anyway, he, the costs were running over, and he didn't want to charge people extra. He wanted to just like deliver what he promised. So and he lost some Chinese contacts and stuff. He need to like he need to change factories or something, and it was more expensive and. Uh, yeah, so he basically fulfilled the Kickstarter by selling his like second house or something hmm. somewhere in the U.S. I think. The guy. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty crazy. But there's uh, the other side of the spectrum where like a lot of Kickstarters will just like charge extra or just be like, well, we'll reduce the quality or something. Mm-hmm. But that guy was like, I need to just do it. So. I think it's it's a microcosm of the board game community because I mean you've got people that I'm will go out of their way to make sure that things are okay and I mean I feel like especially in our group like we we don't just board game like we know about each other's lives and we you know like I feel like we're kind of there for each other when we need it um, it's more than a scene it's a community yeah right? yeah yeah I feel like we kind of take care of each other in our group mm-hmm. and I feel like it might even extend a little bit outside our group you know mm-hmm. all right uh so now I wanted to just highlight some games that I saw recently on Kickstarter. Um, basically, I look at a lot of games and I sort by all kinds of ways, mostly new or just in- ending recently. Uh, some things that kind of struck me as interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys have even like heard of these things. Uh, there's a game called Rune Stones. Um, it's by Rudiger Dorn, I think. Oh, uh, okay. Can't remember what he's done, but he's done cool stuff. Yeah. It's uh, the the um, I kind of yeah, yeah yeah that's okay, that's I'm totally really down. the fourteen um, Luxor. Yeah. It's a Queen's game Kickstarter, I think. Uh, obviously, I look for kind of like unique things um mm-hmm. if you've listened to the podcast previously just kind of something that kind of catches your eye or just a unique theme or something the unique thing in that game is you're building it's a deck building game so it's pretty kind of standardish deck building uh, however it's multi-use cards and you can use them for two different things the cool thing is the cards themselves make you discard them after using them for some higher power thing on them which i can't remember exactly the catch is you have to discard your best card when you do it. So it's kind of like this build up to build a nice deck and then you have to kind of destroy it. Mm-hmm. And usually you trash your worst cards. In that game, you have to kind of trash your best card or one of the best cards that you have. Uh, and there's asymmetric powers you can acquire, which the theme of the game is kind of weird. It's kind of like this fantasy thing where you're racing to have the most magical power or something. I can't remember. But I, I thought that was interesting, just the mechanic of having, having when you do the thing on the card, which is the better thing, 
Um, I think you can just buy, 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 and when you actually want to use the effect on the card, which is the better one, you have to discard your best. Uh, that was pretty unique for that game. The downside is it's kind of expensive, and I'm not sure I care about the exclusives enough, so I might just mm. wait for retail with that game. Uh, Taxi Derby is another one I looked at recently. Um, pick up and deliver games. I always look for kind of interesting pick up and deliver games. I feel like they're kind of underrepresented in some way. A lot of them are kind of simple and just kind of on the dumb side. Uh, that one is also on the simple and dumb side. The catch <laughs> on that one though is uh, you are delivering passengers around the city. So you're a taxi and you're racing other taxis to deliver the most passengers. You can take up your car, you can buy things that make you go faster or deliver more people or something <laughs> or whatever. Uh, there's police though, so you're running away from the police and then the cool thing is you it's kind of a push your luck game. You can go as far as you want actually. It's a, it's a roll, uh, it's not a roll move, it's a movement game where you pick up and deliver which you can go as far as you want. However, it's push your luck. If you go beyond three spaces or whatever I think it was, you have to roll a die, and then the police car moves towards you that many spaces oh, cool. times two. <laughs> so you're trying to, if, if you want to go really far, you're probably going to get caught by the police, and there's negative consequences to mm -hmm. that. You get money taken away, and you get sent Sounding back. a little like Grand Theft Auto. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, they <laughs> yeah. took that taxi driver section of Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, and, and the wanted stars, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. much it, actually. Cool, actually. Yeah. yeah. No, it sounded kind of unique, and I was like, "Wow, cool!" And uh, that—that's that just caught my eye. Just like uh, pick up another where you can move as far as you want, technically, but probably not not a great idea. Uh, shout out to Ryan Lockett with Sleeping Gods as well. That launched last week. Um, I know some kind of hit and miss with our group. I really like his games. They're on the simple side, but they're just fun. Mm -hmm. That one is more like. A, choose your own adventure game. So it's in the same line of Above and Below and Near and Far. Yeah, uh, same art, actually. I don't know how, how same those games are because they're... Wait, what is he done? Above uh, and Below, above and below and Near and Far. City of Iron. City of Iron. Game where you jump over the snake. Did he? Uh, Empires of the Void. Yes, yes, Empires of the Void as okay. well. He did part two as well. Call to Adventure, <laughs> I think, right? I no, played Empire of the Void. I also no. played as Empire of the Void 2 and I didn't like it. And I kind of, I was like, um, all the other games are probably exactly I like that. I think all of his games are in the same world, right? Islebound yeah. as well. Islebound, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lizard people. They are in the same universe, yes. Some. I don't know if all of them are. Like, uh, City of Iron, is that in the same universe as well? Okay. I've never actually never I played think so. He uses the same artist every time for like cohesion. <laughs> well, he is the artist himself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's that's the cool part about it. And actually, on the Kickstarter, there was this cool kind of a song thing, and uh, and on the intro video or whatever, there every Kickstarter has a video up top. Uh, I looked at it, and it's composed by him as well. So wow. he did the Renaissance he, he did, did the music, the art, the game, basically everything. Graphic but design, he, and he's the publisher. <laughs> yeah, almost. Uh, It'd be the complete cycle if he like produced the games in a Chinese factory himself and then like yeah. Yeah. Cap captain the boat he's over the, to, to the US, drove, drove the truck, <laughs> delivers it to your house. You're like, right, Lockett, deliver your game. Okay. It's local yeah, too, so shout local, out to right? Utah. But the game is pretty cool, I think. It's kind of like near and far-ish, but it's not really a board anymore. It's more like cards 
and you're exploring this huge map. It's like a world map with like 150 location cards, and every location cards has like more locations on it. So you're basically just kind of, you literally have like a, an open world to explore. There's obviously a book with stories, a little bit of story reading. Uh, I think it's kind of like a RPG type, mm-hmm. choose your own adventure kind of a game where you, the theme is I think you're trans, uh, you're sent to a different dimension where there's gods, sleeping gods, mm-hmm. That's and you have to persuade them to let you go back to your own dimension or something like that. It's kind of weird, but... So he played like Seventh Continent and was like... Yeah, oh, it, actually, it actually is very, I think, like, I, in, as far as ideas go, similar to the Seventh Continent. Yeah, there's just a huge thing to explore with a lot of things to do, and you sail around on a steamboat around islands, mm-hmm. and wherever you go on the map, you build the little section of the map that you're exploring, and you do stuff there, and things happen. I feel like they missed an opportunity here like why didn't they call it a sleep and awake i know it's about sleeping gods but i just feel like there was there was uh above and below below, near near and far far. like it just would have i just really (laughs) wanted to be called a sleep and awake something (laughs) and something and something yeah (laughs) something then the opposite of that something hot and cold what a waste (laughs) the next one would be hot and cold Um, it's about HVAC. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to Cards and Cubes. We'd like to thank once again Demolition Games, located 3300 South and 85 West in Salt Lake City, Utah. We'd like to thank Lindsay Johnson for composing the music. You can email us at cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com if you have questions or comments or just want to let us know that you're listening. You can find us on social media at Cards and Cubes, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And yeah, thanks. Bye.